Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And this week's episode on the art of finding your way is is to to dive dive for. Sydney, I have marine science news for you. Ooh, so exciting. Um, So this is not news to pretty much anyone, um, but it is a recent study that came out. Um, It looks like the study was conducted by some researchers at the University of Michigan, including Bridget Shaka, I believe, um, who's a doctoral student and the UM Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Um, And so this group of researchers was looking at the importance of seagrass communities and seagrass meadows as a carbon sink in light of climate change. So a lot of us know already, and you may know listeners, (laughs) that um, different organisms that capture this carbon, things like plants um, and algae can be really important for combating climate change and could be a really important source of a solution for this big problem. And it was estimated in this study that Caribbean seagrasses alone provide over $255 billion in annual ecosystem services. So this is super important. And as you know, humans are kind of kind of need to put a dollar amount on something that's important um, in order to get legislation passed. But the study I think kind of provides a really good stepping stone in that direction, which is really exciting. That's awesome. And that's an insane amount of money. Yeah. Seagrasses are so cool. We talked a lot about seagrasses in our episode with Flynn. So I'm sure you guys all remember how cool they are, how important they are. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of interviews, I'm super excited for ours today. So special guest, we'll have you introduce yourself with your name and pronouns. Hi, everybody. My name is Katie Allison. Uh, I go by uh, she, her, hers. Uh, I'm a South African. I grew up on the east coast of South Africa, originally from um, KwaZulu-Natal in the north, but progressively moved down the coast. Um, So I live in, in Port Alfred on the east coast and then have recently moved down to Cape Town, where I currently reside when I'm not in the Cayman Islands. That's super cool. Honestly, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast has been interacting with people from so many different places. And South Africa is a very new place for us. So it's it's really cool. I've already learned so much just like talking to you about your home and like where you're from. And um, yeah, I, I find it super beautiful and wonderful to get to learn about new cultures and new ecosystems too. Yeah. Oh, man. We have such a great, diverse um, group of people this side as well at CCMI, but um, also so great to be able to come chat to you guys today. So thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So stoked. Will you let us know what drew you to the water in the first place? Uh, So, man, if you had to ask my folks from when I was a babe, you know, just old enough to walk and swim, um, I found myself underwater and, you know, at the end of the day, my folks would come back from work and we'd all hop into the pool and that would be, you know, a really fun memory for me. So 
that was, I think, the earliest stage that I was drawn to the ocean, but I grew up in the fishing and surfing community, so that was essentially where most of my personal development occurred. Um, it was a great privilege to have that community-centric um, upbringing. So I think that also definitely influenced my choice in uh, career paths because I also did um, a, my open water course happened when I was about 13 or 14. And that was the first introduction into the underwater world. But yeah, it was primarily, primarily the surfing and fishing community that brought that, you know, genuine respect and love that happens when you start loving something, you start appreciating it. That's so cool. I I feel like that's a little of a different approach than a lot of people that we've interviewed before, like coming through the fishing community and surfing, like that's, that's so unique and offers a different perspective, I think, than just like, I mean, I don't know, I was raised in central Texas, so I didn't get a, a lot of ocean time until I was already diving. Um, but yeah, I feel like that could offer some really unique perspectives. I say I agree with you completely. That's so cool. I feel like most of the people we interview, same thing. You and I grew up far away from the ocean, kind of like marine bio and scuba diving brought us closer to the ocean. But it's a really, like Haley said, unique perspective. And I'm excited to hear more about it and the different ecosystems you grew up around. Yeah, thanks. That's uh it's definitely a cold water environment, which is where I where I spend most of my childhood. So it was uh, fighting for your life most of the time <laughs> in the water, but definitely a healthy respect was uh, was gained from that whole experience. Yeah. So did you surf and fish a lot too, personally, or just kind of the people around you mostly? No. So it was a lot of, um, my cousins got me into surfing and my father surfed when he was a bit younger. And then, yeah, just always this uh, family time. We're very much like a family-centric uh, unit, I suppose. And a lot of our family time was spent on the water. Um, and we got into kind of sustainable fishing as we grew. It was definitely a process. Um, we now practice sustainable fishing, but, you know, back in the day in South Africa, um, well, it was a slow process, but it was very much a culture. And it's the culture that um, that the town that I live in preaches. That's really cool. I did most of my studying in a cold water environment or cold water. We call it cold water, but it's the East Coast. It's in the Indian Ocean. Um, but we have a permanent cold upwelling cell right off where we where we live. Um, but then when I moved down to Cape Town, I did a lot of free diving in the kelp forests, which I think would blow your mind. You would just it's a magical place. I that's where I would like to do some of my work, but I do very much enjoy the warm water yeah. that we have here. Yeah. So Katie and I met here at CCMI at the Central Caribbean Marine Institute, um, which, as you guys all know, is where I am here for the next six months doing a research fellowship. So, yeah, we obviously are in a very much warmer environment here in a predominantly coral reef ecosystem. And honestly... It's been very exciting to be in an ecosystem that seems to be dominated by coral as opposed to like a sponge dominated or algal dominated reef, which I'm very used to in Florida. Um, but yeah, like the coral reefs here are super cool and very different from the kelp forests, I'm sure. Um, what is that like as a diver? What has that juxtaposition been like for you? Oh, man, I think each has its own 
beauty and its own um like uniqueness but the cold forests i mean it's it's eerie and it's kind of this private little world that you experience and it's cold so your whole body's going into this like fight or flight mode but you're trying to calm it down and you've got megafauna like well megafauna when i say megafauna we're talking about like slightly bigger sharks but not big sharks and we've got our big um commercially important eating species Mm -hmm. so that's really cool to see because you can interact with the the food sources that you kind of rely on and no, it's just a whole experience, man. I, I love it to bits, but the diving in the Caribbean, it's been my favorite, favorite diving so far. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's been some of my favorite diving too, but I also haven't experienced a lot of places outside of the Caribbean yet, so I'm excited to get to do that one day. Did you say sponges were dominant back in Florida? Yeah, Florida's coral reefs are in like a state of um, bioerosion. Like there, there is not enough live coral to be continuing active lithification, so they're eroding. Yeah, the the southernmost extent of it in the Keys is a little bit more coral cover for sure, but up where we studied, it's predominantly sponges. Well, that's that's cool. I mean, what does that mean for the ecosystem? Is that still good? So for the environment, like the coral reef environment in South Florida, I think that it kind of depends on what you classify as a healthy environment. Um, So the challenge is that we're eroding this offshore reef structure. And that is what a lot of us kind of rely on as a coastal ecosystem or a coastal um, development, rather. We rely on that offshore reef, the three-dimensional structure of it, not only for Fish populations, which there's a lot of fishing that occurs in South Florida, both sustenance and otherwise. Um, The recreational fishing industry is one of the major economic contributors in South Florida. Um, And like the diving industry is also super important. And so in South Florida, that that reef is super important. And the fact that it's bioeroding is challenging because we realistically like we need the calcium carbonate structure. Um, sponges aren't providing the long-lasting calcium carbonate structure that corals can, and algaes are definitely not. And so as a result, um, it just is kind of slowly degrading, um, which isn't great, but hopefully maybe one day it'll get turned around. But the Caribbean, that's why like South Floridians really look to the Caribbean for their coral cover um and their overall like net accretion of calcium carbonate it's that's kind of where a lot of the reformation is still occurring in this hemisphere okay yeah cool okay so you've kind of given us a little bit of background on where you are now where you started but what do you do like tell us about your work your job your career um i mean give us kind of a little bit of insight into who katie is and what what she does yeah, for sure. Um, so I suppose I can give you a comprehensive background. <laughs> when I left school, I became a paddy dive master. Um, and I worked in the northern part of South Africa in Savannah Bay. And then I worked in Gwinjada Bay in Mozambique. And then went to Gili Air in Indonesia. And the whole lifestyle was just incredible. I loved what I did. Um, but was drawn continuously deeper into wanting to know more about marine science and all of the fish that we saw down there. So I ended up pursuing a career in ichthyology and fishery science. So for your listeners who don't know what that is, 
um, which most people don't, truthfully. Yeah. Uh, ichthyology is essentially zoology, but with the study of fish. So uh, I spent six years getting, like, coming, well, I finally got my master's, mm -hmm. got that recently. And then uh, discovered that, well, you know, all of the topics that I covered in marine science and ichthyology were really stimulating, but it was science communication that really drew me to it and human behavior that was primarily my interest. Um, I did do a thesis on uh, pro-environmental behavior in the recreation fishing community in South Africa, um, and we looked at how social media could change pro-environmental behavior for the better, and that was something that really, really took my fancy, but um, it just, it wasn't quite where my heart was at, and, you know, I became very disenchanted with the science, I think, as a lot of people do, mm -hmm. when you go into academia, um, I found that all of these incredible findings were not being communicated effectively, and very frequently, uh, policymakers and the general public were not the people who really, really needed to hear about all of these cool things that were going on were not. Um, so I kind of fell in love for a brief period with my science. And that was when I kind of felt the calling for science communication. And so I started pursuing that. And that's where I find myself myself now. Um, I did a contract with the One Ocean Hub and NMU, which is Nelson Mandela University back in South Africa. Incredible experience. I owed I owe it all to Prof. Kerry Sink, who is another person who, oh my goodness, if she ever has the time to get on a podcast, like she's a powerhouse in her own right. That woman is one of my uh, role models. But Ooh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> um, I'm I'm digressing and sidetracking, but I think it's worth noting that she she was one of the people to implement the 20 new MPAs in South Africa. Wow wild but anyways so she she got me into it and now I find myself here at CCMI doing ScienceCom. That's amazing will you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in SciComm at CCMI? Yeah we'd love to um so you know I primarily started uh, SciComm with the intention of writing I think that that was my calling from the get-go um actually wanted to do a joint what do you call it a joint uh, master's or PhD in mm -hmm. ichthyology and journalism but COVID had other other ideas so that fell through but uh, as life would have it happen uh, I found myself going into visual communication so videography editing storytelling through the visual medium I do miss writing though I feel like that's where my heart is but very very much enjoy visual communication so Right now, I take my own videos and the videos of others, and then I edit them and create content for, for social media. Um, and then we also did Reefs Go Live. Yeah, talk about that. That's amazing. It's such a cool initiative. So here at CCMI, we have a thing called Reefs Go Live, and that was for four weeks where CCMI takes a topside host and an underwater presenter and we produce lessons for thousands of people around the world. So we've got children in the Cayman Islands. We've also had people sign in from, I don't know, several other countries around the world. Um, and they just 
give lessons on ocean literacy, on conservation, um, and then present that live from underwater. So that's just an incredible concept. And I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to be the intern for that initiative. So that was something that led to a great amount of personal growth. That's one of my favorite programs that CCMI does. And whenever people ask me for educational information or different tools they can bring to their classrooms, I always point them to Reefs Go Live. I love it. I know. It's super unique, though. The, the Reefs Go Live program is, honestly, I can't think of another place that does something like that. Because it's basically like a, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, like a live feed maybe for lack of a better word um underwater and commentary happening in real time about what you're seeing underwater what's going on or like um different conservation efforts associated with the environments you're looking at so um yeah yeah, yeah i just, just can <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get the chance to be the underwater host or what was your primary role in reefs go live uh, that would have been such a dream, but uh, I'm still getting my uh, scientific divers qualification. Um, so I was not able to do the underwater presenting, but I did do the topside first, and that was wildly cool. That was yeah, such a great experience, and um, to know that we had a whole bunch of children who were interested in signing in and learning about what was happening in real time below you. That's so cool. That kind of leads perfectly into our next set of questions. Um, asking about how diving intersects with your work and what level of dive training you have. Um, so I am a paddy dive master, but I only worked as a paddy dive master for a year. Um, but, you know, with the whole with the whole visual medium of communication, which is essentially now where I see myself going, um, I'd like to progress into wildlife documentary filmmaking and um, more of like a lifestyle approach to science because you always want to humanize you know exactly what you guys are doing you want to humanize the science because it's all in benefit of our society and our planet so um with that being said i've i've taken a course in uh, videography and editing a couple years ago and that was kind of a, a game changer and it set me on the path that i'm currently on and then very recently, we had the great fortune of attending the digital shootout, um, which happened on Little Cayman. And the, <laughs> those uh, it was all thanks to CCMI and Beth, who is my manager. They're both incredible on the backsc backscatter team who allowed us to attend um, for free as an NGO. And so I learned a great deal about videography and photography and underwater um, shooting. And that's really where I wanna I wanna build my skill because that's very much where I see my life going. Um, I would like to combine the concept of storytelling and communication with, I think, this inherent need that I have for adventure, novelty, meaning, human connection. Just I want all of it, and I want to be in nature as much as I can. That's amazing. I I can imagine how being a really skilled diver, I guess I'll say, could really play an important role in that. Which I mean, you are. I've I've dove with you, and you're amazing in the water. And I I think that it's super important when you aim to interact with these environments and also 
to represent or speak out for the conservation of certain environments to make sure that you also in that effort are being conservation minded, are being um, respectful towards that environment. And I think that being a really a, a skilled diver or a diver who's conscientious about their buoyancy and about their interaction with the ecosystem is a really important part of that. So I've I've seen firsthand that you do do those things. But yeah, I think, you know, being a dive master kind of feeds into that, you know, like having that skill um, and that experience too probably feeds into that, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think also the more that you do something, the safer you feel, the more comfortable you feel, and you kind of start focusing on, oh gosh, am I going to survive this? Is this going right at my level? Yeah, all of the fear in your head, and you just focus on what's around you. And it's, uh, I think both of you guys know that it's a place of such majesty and magic that. I agree 100% with everything you just said. And that's one of the big reasons. I know I love to combine art and science. I feel like art is such a good way to speak to people's hearts and their soul. And that's a big reason why I like to photograph things like threatened or endangered species or just show people what I'm seeing underwater because that's how you're really going to get people to care about it. So I love that you want to go into making documentaries and sharing this because I feel the same way. It's such a great tool to get people to fall in love with the ocean. Yeah, oh man, it's so great that you have that um, that passion and initiative as well. I think we all need more people like you guys. Yeah, I think... I mean, and not to brag on Sydney, but like she also does really cool illustrations um, and kind of takes that into a, a secondary media besides just photos. Um, but yeah, I think we can all kind of agree that people people protect what they love. And the only way to make something personable to people is to let them experience it. And, you know, that can be done obviously through diving, which is one of my callings as like a dive instructor is to help people to experience this environment so that they fall in love with it, so that they aim to protect it, um, but can also be achieved through this pho photography, videography, hopefully through podcasting. <laughs> yeah. That's what right. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you're, you're so right. You yeah. said that really well, yeah. Um, so you're a dive master. And obviously a really solid diver at this point, but how did you, you kind of mentioned that you got certified around like 13. How did you get into diving? What, what happened there? Um, so that I started doing my dive masters as soon as I finished school. Um, but when I came out of school, I'm not weird. I was a type A ambition driven stressed out of my bracket human being and realized that I was going down a path that was not healthy and so um well let me just say first that I am a recovering type A personality and <laughs> very much right angle turn straight into type B more relaxed know what's important in life kind of right now but um yeah I've decided to go into professional diving and flip what a what a life it's given me everything was built from that so diving brought my love to me and continuing it to this day that's awesome you started so young what was it like diving at like 13 do you remember like your first couple dives uh gosh I do we we did our qualifying dives in the bay of Port Elizabeth um uh, and the visibility there was like less than an arm's length in front of us it was it was 
awful. Um, and I was with my uh, then partner. Well, when I say a partner, you're 13, 14 years old. It's like <laughs> it's like a yeah. like your then crush or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy completely abandoned me. He left me alone. <laughs> And I think that just led to like <laughs> me avoiding diving for like at least until I was 18, but came back to it, thank God, because yeah, wouldn't have had this otherwise. Get you a dive partner that doesn't, a dive buddy that doesn't leave you Yeah, underwater. <laughs> As you kind of like traveled around the world, you've done all these different things. You've shifted kind of from the recreational dive industry and the professional diving You've gone from science, like research-based science to more science communication. Um, there's been, it sounds like a lot of transitions and like um, like personal growth and processing and stuff. What are some of the challenges that you've faced in this journey? And like, can you tell us about how you overcame them? I think that's a, that's a really great question. Um, it was definitely, you know, when you, when you chop and change and you start something new frequently and you feel your... Uh, yourself being pulled in directions that maybe you have no experience in which is exactly what we were talking about um I know I struggled a lot with imposter syndrome and not feeling like I was good enough or worthy enough to pursue a career in science or I'm not as good as at a as a uh, other editors or videographers and so perhaps I maybe shouldn't pursue this career because I'll never be as good as them or whatever it is um, but, you know, from years and years of mindset training and, I mean, it's a process that you continuously work on it. Um, it's something that I've been able to quieten down and that's more in the background now and we can go forth and, and do all the cool things. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely one thing that um, that I struggled with. But you know what? When you... I just I love what I do and I think that I do add some kind of value to this world having done it so just always got to remember that yeah we've we've definitely talked about imposter syndrome on the podcast before and I guess lately I've just been trying to remind myself that I bring a unique perspective and no one has the same no one does everything the exact same way I do no one thinks the exact same way I do so just like everyone is unique and has something different to bring to the table and no one can be you and no one can bring the same things that you do to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And you're not alone in that either. Let me just, you know, put a little word of affirmation or like validation out there that I think a lot of us struggle with that imposter syndrome and, um, I just have to remind myself that so many of the people who I look up to in this world started thinking that they were never going to be good enough and now are, to me, some of the most incredible, inspiring people um, in this field or in other fields, like adjacent fields. So I I try really hard to remember that even they started probably in, from this humble beginning and with this imposter syndrome or this idea in their head that they may never be good enough and yet to me they're they're incredible now and so one day hopefully I will be in the same you know in the same vein and as will yeah. both of you like you're both incredible women so um, dude. yeah yeah I was gonna say even some of those people like you mentioned people that we look up to we know some of those people that are like PIs now and they still deal with things like imposter syndrome like 
just realizing that everyone goes through the same thing and you're not alone it it makes it a little more easier to bear when I decided that I wanted to do psychom um once I'd had this this falling out of love with my science which I had held up onto for so long um and I'd found this calling in science communication I started telling everybody that would listen like my role models and my supervisors like this is the direction that I want to go in and I think that with that um with that brought a whole bunch of new opportunities and the first opportunity came when my supervisors allowed me to manage our laboratory's um, social media platform Hmm, that's cool and so I just want to say you know from there everything else built and if you are wanting to go into something and you feel like you have no experience and you don't know where to start tell people about it like the more people you talk to the more you dig your hands in and get digging that's when it's going to happen you know make it loud and proud that's when things start happening yeah reach out to your resources too like if if you're telling people chances are that you have somebody in your life who's more well connected in that specific area than you are and um yeah reaching out to them can be such an important resource I feel like I mean we kind of do that in our own separate ways too Sydney but that's a really good piece of advice yeah definitely lean on the people around you and you're gonna get farther when you ask for help and use your resources so I love that advice also like you and I were kind of talking about before the interview Katie like I feel like there's something to be said for just jumping in. Like Sydney and I have never run a podcast before. I don't know that I've actually conducted an interview, to be perfectly honest, before this. I don't think so either. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it's been real like trial and error. We've I've never worked with a microphone before. I <laughs> I don't know how to record anything until <laughs> this. So like you know, there's something to be said for just jumping in and also something to be said for reaching out to your resources like you said but um yeah just because you haven't done it before doesn't mean that you can't do it and doesn't mean that you can't be great at it I love that on to some fun questions yeah fun questions okay this is always one of my favorite questions to ask what is your best dive snorkel or water related story and it can be something you did while working or just recreational two things come to mind but there was one that I definitely like the first thing that comes to mind and will always come to mind is more of like a deeply intimate experience that we had with uh, one of the big animals um we were in Sedwana Bay diving one of the deep dives on uh, a place called lettuce which is just one organism of hard coral just the whole thing like the size of several rooms is one organism it is incredible but we were coming up from the dive. it was a low vis day uh it was overcast so you can picture this like really intimate experience and then out of the blue comes this whale call and it just plagues my mind it was bone chilling it was incredible I return to it all the time what species of whale do you think it was you know what? I would be lying if I knew. I should know. I think it might have been a humpback, but I don't know. That's amazing. And then, yeah, the other day I was buzzed by a shark while snorkeling. 
Can you, yeah, I have no clue what this coral, like you said, so it's one coral organism that's just. Is it like a single colony? Size, ginormous. It's huge. And apparently, if I'm not being mistaken, I mean, I, I seem to remember this very clearly, um, that it was all one yeah. organism. It's huge. That's amazing. Yeah. Huh. I should get some photos for you and I can send it. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, tell the story awesome. of, of how you got buzzed by a shark the other day snorkeling because uh, <laughs> I was in the, I was adjacent to that story. <laughs> yeah, so uh, dear Haley lent me her snoot while diving to um, a video, a, a small seahorse that we were diving with and then I happened to lose it on that dive and I was deeply ashamed and so I went back the next day <laughs> to find it and I was snorkeling with a, another friend of ours Bolt shout out to Bolt who fixes everything around the station Bolt the builder <laughs> um and yeah I was swimming along the surface trying to get this shit done you know paddling really fast and then my brain was like this is really sharky behavior so just out and of it habit, was dawn too, wasn't it? It was dawn, and so I stopped and I looked, I scanned, and from behind this bloody reef shark was just barreling at me. So I made myself really big and I went away, but it was close. It turned like right here, and you like got down in the water and like spread your arms and legs, <laughs> Walker. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I might have missed it because my internet is spotty, but what kind of shark was it? Did you, were you able to tell? It was a reef shark. A reef shark, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cheeky bugger. <laughs> or cheeky bugger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next fun question. What is, what's your favorite boat snack? Oh man, this depends where they were diving cold water or warm water. Oh, that's a good... I've never made that distinction before. This is good information. Uh, so I worked as a seal... A seal... A seal... A seal snorkeling guide in Cape Town, and the water was icy cold. That got down to 9 degrees Celsius every now and then. So uh, hot chocolate and cookies, like must do, and then warm water, watermelon. But I have been known to eat a bagel every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Love me some bagels. What is your favorite marine organism? I know this is a tough question, but if you had to choose one. Controversial opinion. Titan triggerfish. Wait, that's a great opinion. Tell me why. <laughs> I just think they're such assholes. I love them. <laughs> they're so fasty. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That is a super controversial opinion, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're going to have to put this in the poll for the episode and see what the people think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tighten triggers. Yay or nay. Yeah. Okay. Last fun question, and then we'll close us out. Um, what has been, of all the crazy freaking places you've dove, I'm so jealous. Um, what has been your favorite place to dive? I'm going to have to say Little Cayman. I think that Sedwana is so close to my heart, and I love the place, but... Um, Little came and I just remember, you know, when I first did a deep dive here and you go down and you see that drop off thousands of meters, kilometers, don't know, below you. It's just magic, man. There's there's something about it where you hit like deep water. You go to 30 meters and you stop and you look up and there's just nothing like it. And then 
you know, doing the swim throughs is one of my favorite pastimes as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to say a little Cayman. Diversity, biodiversity as well. It's just out of this world. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, makes up for the fact that I really haven't shared a whole lot about the diving here yet on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, the diving is incredible. And you're right. The biodiversity is incredible. The walls are really beautiful. Yeah, I I am really excited. I get to do a little bit of tech training, hopefully, in the next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got a grant for some tech training. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and so I hopefully will get to be exploring a little bit deeper depths of these beautiful coral walls one day. Um, but yeah, really, really incredible stuff. I, I like that answer. It's a pretty good spot. <laughs> yeah I when I got my open water certification the pl- the first place I dove was Little Cayman for my internship at CCMI spoilt and my mind's blown I just I knew like the stone quarries and the rivers up in Canada and then going to Little Cayman I was just like where am I this is the best place on earth and that's where my love for tropical diving began and coral reefs that's why I study corals now so little humans is a very special place to me yeah yeah all right well we've reached the end of the episode we'll ask our last question um after all this time and all these super cool experiences what is it that keeps you coming back to the water why why can't you leave why can't you get away? <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, it's magic, magic, magic. It's the community. It's the purpose. It's the lifestyle. It's just everything, man. It's where my heart is. It's where I'll live and die. Oh, with on that note, though, I do like being close to my mortality, if I'm <laughs> being honest. I like doing things that the land is very blurred. Yeah. <laughs> Surfing big waves is, uh, well, bigger waves and I'm not uncomfortable. It's always something to get the heart pumping and you know, deep diving and diving with megafauna and, you know, just just really appreciating being immortal is yeah. what I enjoy. That's awesome. I like that, actually. That's a... Yeah. I feel like a lot of us on this, like, both Sydney and I and a lot of our community is also very um, adventurous in that way. And I agree with you. That's, you know, honestly, an answer, one of the, one of your answers in there was the community. That's something that I've really not heard as a response yet. And I think that's really, really super important is like not just the diving, but also the people mm. that surround diving and the culture of dive communities. Um, yeah. And, and just marine science or marine focused communities in general, just really, really special. Yeah. Ocean goes. A group of people that you want to be around, man. Yeah. Just thinking about all the amazing people we've interviewed on the podcast. So that's what that brings to mind. Yeah. We've got a good little community going right now. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on this week's episode, Katie. Oh, man, guys. Thanks so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. And yeah, keep doing what you guys are doing. It's it's honestly awesome. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Katie. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. 
Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fish Tales episodes. Those will come out about once a month, and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. All right. So if you listen to the end of the episode, you know we give you a fish fact. And this week with our fish fact is Katie, special guest. Uh, so I don't know if your listeners would know this, but um, our beautiful ragged tooth sharks up in South Africa, down in South Africa, um, they spend their gestation period on the Sedwana uh, Bay reefs, and they don't eat throughout their gestation period. So these big, beautiful, gentle creatures swim around like in a group, mm-hmm. um, and they just get algae growing on their teeth because they don't uh, eat the whole time. So you can go right up to them. I mean, they're not dangerous, really, as as creatures, but yeah, the stem is very gentle. Wow. That's pretty good. Awesome. It's a pretty fishy fact. <laughs> All 